John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. accessed entry 946.IS3821, certificate number 42734, the placebo effect. We need a cure! We need a cure! <laughs> Why, the only cure is bed rest. Anything I give you would only be a placebo. Where do we get these placebos? Maybe there's some in this truck. Are you worried about long COVID? John? Yes. Of all the lengths of COVID to get, yes. what would be the worst one? Long, right? The longest COVID Long. is the one I am the mostest afraid of. The longest COVID. It's like an unfinished <laughs> Hemingway novel or something. <laughs> it's a it's a great, like, uh, big cast movie, The Longest COVID. It's got every star Four in Hollywood. Four hours in long, it. <laughs> a young James Garner, an old Burt Lancaster. We love it. Um, I'm afraid of all the COVIDs. I don't want any of them. But uh, but particularly one that has lasting consequences. Did you know, and I don't think you did, because I've withheld this from you, mm. we haven't recorded in a couple months. It's been a while. You were down doing something, and then you were somewhere else. I then was you backpacking. Were in I, was, I, I have not been to England. Oh, sorry. You were in Peru. I was backpacking with some friends. Yeah. And then I was at a family reunion in Oregon. Right. And, and then you were in a hovercraft. Yes. At yeah. some point in between, I was in a hover. That's the fastest way to get from Peru to Oregon. <laughs> if you, if you, the Concorde doesn't fly that route anymore. No, but the hovercraft, Lightspeed. Uh, both of those trips turned into super spreader events, in of fact. Of course they did. Now, wait a minute. Hike, backpacking in Peru, how does, I would assume that, not to use technical terms, but there wouldn't be sufficient viral load if you were hiking in the, in the You're outdoors, yeah. in the thin air of the Andes Mountains. This is why I can go to baseball games and not wear a mask, because the wind carries the virus away. Isn't that, isn't that true? They're saying it's less true of a BA5. Oh, dear. I mean, this is going to be less interesting months from now when there's, you know, the, the, um, the Omicron variant has, yeah, and or the, or the Omega, Omega variant has killed everyone. But. 30 years from now when, when people are like, what, what was that? Oh, the Spanish flu? But I remember yes. grandma had that. Yeah, they're saying with BA5, even outdoors in a crowd, like depending uh, on how crowded you're outdoors, it's not, nothing's guaranteed anymore. Nothing's guaranteed anymore. So wait a minute, you're saying that you caught the COVID? I got the novel coronavirus. Oh boy. After two years and three months. Oh boy. And you're sitting here? Months? How and long I'm ago was that? breathing all over you. Uh, two, two weeks ago. So- we did our hike in Peru. The last day of the trip, we go back to civilization. And suddenly, hey, wait a minute. 
No, Peru, no. Peru is a fully civilized country. I'm not saying I flew back to Miami. I'm saying we got back to Cusco. Oh, I see. Okay. Where there's a McDonald's and a KFC. Yeah, I mean, flying back to Miami, I would say you'd be going backwards. <laughs> wow. So, so now all the Cuban Republicans are mad at you. Got it. They were mad at me already. Um, and I started to get like a, a sniffle in my nose and a tickle in my throat. Oh, that sounds cute. Oh, it was, I like how it's all, all these fun words <laughs> for, um, for being sick. I just mm-hmm. have a, a little, little sniffle, a little tickle. Uh, and the next day... People started testing positive. So you were still in Peru and and conscious it, that you were... It was the day I was flying from Lima to... Where was I going? Dallas to Seattle. So I, Just so, Oh, Dallas. Boy, you're going back in time. No way to get COVID there. But um, Masks illegal at the airport. So let, some let, guy with two six-shooters just... Fire it in the air if he sees a mask. Suffering succotash. <laughs> so uh, just, to, just to get this on the record, when did you feel the tickle? Were you... Were you in the hotel? When? When? How? I was in a bus driving back from the trail to the hotel. But it conceivably at that point could have been a, a Here's the an thing. allergy. Everybody on the trip had a cough. Not everybody, but a bunch of people had a cough and, and had kept testing negative. Everybody had tested before they came. Um, you were at a high altitude, and there's such a thing as a high altitude cough. Sure. You know, I and I had felt kind of fatigued and winded. Just on every pair of stairs, I had a pair of stairs. Yeah, every pair of stairs. You know, often in Peru, they have two stairs, and then you go up to a little mini floor, and then you go two more stairs up, uh-huh. and there's a, like a little desk or it's, a landing. It's a, it's one of the uh, the ancient architecture styles. Two stairs. Yeah, they didn't have the wheel, yeah. the Incas, but they had invented two. They had never occurred to them they could put three stairs together. Pair of stairs because the alpacas can't can't do it. Um, so I was in the position of, but I thought, oh, this is just the cough that are, has been going around our group. Cause we were outside the whole time, but you eat in, in makeshift tents. Wait a minute. Makeshift tents. Yeah. You, you didn't just have regular tents. I would you had say to, you had to make tents. I would say leaves? a regular tent is a nice wedding pavilion. I'm a city boy. Yeah. This was a makeshift tent in the sense that, um, a series of porters had to make it, had to, uh, pitch it. They constructed a tent out of local berries. Yeah, out of uh, <laughs> what do you find in the yeah, in but the like Andes sun-baked wood and llama skins. Yeah, uh, the uh, the Inca Trail is kind of a, this four-day hike we did is kind of a uh, make-work project by the Peruvian government. You know, there's not a lot of jobs in the Sierra. And so if, it, you know, our group of, we had 19 people in our group. That's a large group. It is, but there's also like, I think about upwards of 30 local porters and guides and chefs and... So there were 50 people. <laughs> yes. All, all making tents. All crowding together. I'm guessing you 19 weren't making tents. I'm guessing you were sitting on Because the there rocks. was an odd number. And apparently I was the only one that sent the, uh, hey, I want my own hotel room email. <laughs> it turned out it was $60 to get your own hotel room. And I was like, why is everyone not doing this? Um, I, I became the odd man out with his own tent. Oh, but your I, own tent. But I still had the sniffle. I still had the tickle. Where'd you get the sniffle tickle? I assume at meals. I mean, you can say, hey, we took every precaution. But really, everybody says that, and they mean a hundred different things. Yeah. We took every precaution might just mean um, I can get out of bed, you know. Or it could mean we all took PCR tests every day for a week, and nobody's eaten in a restaurant since January 2020. But you're sure that you got it on the trip and not, like, in a in the airplane on the way down? I'm not patient zero. Somebody... Uh, somebody flew in and the whole trip was just feeling kind of achy and not well and his, had a lot of muscle pain. He thought he had just 
you know, sat weird in a coach seat on the airplane, I think. Good job, this guy. Yeah. Where did he come from? Dallas? Matt. Uh, I want to say Boise? No, Salt Lake, I think. A state. Yeah, Dallas, Boise, and Salt Lake are all the same. A Mountain West state where every <laughs> single person has had COVID six times, right. basically. Well, that's their, um, that's the, those are their freedoms. He just thought he had sat weird on the plane, and so he had, you know, back and neck pain the whole time. And I now kind of think, this guy brought the Utah COVID to Cusco. Cus COVID. Uh-huh. Um, so I thought to myself, I don't know if this is COVID or not, but I already have am checked into these flights. Have you have you uh, reached back uh, to your hosts and and figured out whether six hundred people in the Andes have already died of this strain of Utah COVID? It's very hard to do contact tracing in uh, at fourteen thousand feet. Yeah, I suppose you get if you you try to write down the numbers and you get dizzy. So you check into the flight and you're like, maybe I'm fine. I'm like, I'm really hoping that this is because other, uh, the guy I had, um, I guess I hadn't roomed with anyone, but the guy, my friend who I'd gone on the trip with had, um, had tested negative. And then he texts me and says, Hey, I just tested positive. Where was he? Where was he when he texted you? He was still in some hotel. Oh, in, in, uh, in Peru. Yeah. And he had booked, I think he had, um, and I think he actually, after he tested positive, he had time to go check into a hotel in Lima and quarantine for a week until he tested negative. Hmm, nice life. I got on the, I got on the plane and said, you know what? I'm going to keep my 95 on and just put a plastic bag over, stay your away and... from everyone. Yeah. You know, those yellow, um, those yellow fallout suits we, yeah, that we, we that bought we for the here. omnibus photo op that we're wearing right now. Yeah. I just put that on. Um, so I, Cause I, I didn't like either choice. I did not like right, right. getting on a plane and what if I, with symptoms and I did not like, um, I'm in Peru. For I'm 10 in days. Per, I'm in Peru. Maybe not for inconvenience reasons, but like if I get COVID, maybe I I don't want to be in Cusco, Peru. It's hard to get uh, DoorDash to bring you barbecued ribs in Cusco. <laughs> Harder than it is in Seattle. Let's you, say. you can get guinea pig ribs. All, mm. all the guinea pig ribs you can eat. Week week week. Alpaca week? tartar was on every menu. I saw that week so I, so i got but, home and immediately tested positive but not not to ask too, guilty in hindsight. not to ask too much not to be too uh intrusive no it's fine but when you this are on a safe a, space when you're on a fun jaunt uh, a make work jaunt to the andes do you fly first class or do you fly economy comfort or do you i'm i know you well enough to know that you're not in row 34 uh in the in a middle seat between two between two ferns it, enormous Brazilian men. Uh, I it's it's always a mix. It's all and I have, if it's an airline where I have status, maybe I'm hoping for an upgrade. Sure, you mix it up. In but this case, the I only bu- airline you have status with is Alaska and right? Delta. I have. Oh, good job, good like, job. And I take credit for that. Yes, yeah. it's a it's a mere gold medallion. It's not as easy to get Delta <sighs> status as when I lived in Salt Lake. Yeah, you know how it is a when you're just gold. when you're just gold. <laughs> they keep rolling people over. It's it means nothing now. Everybody's gold. Um. The in this case, I had booked far enough in advance, and these um these South American flights, it's basically business class. There's not like the you Say know life lat first class. You're in your own cubicle, kind of a vibe. You're saying the highest, yeah. The tier. best, the best you can do would be the equivalent of of U.S. business class, or right. Um, and so I sat up front, and I and that was part of how I justified it to myself, like. There's only one other person, and she's like six feet away. Oh, I thought you were going to say, I justified it uh, by saying- (laughs) I'm only going to get the rich All these swells. I'm going to take them out, finally, as the only true socialist in first class. Is coughing on millionaires compatible with Marxism? 
God, it has to be, right? What is the what is the Marxist take on using plague it doesn't, as a class weapon? It doesn't redistribute their income very well. It just goes to their awful children. Right. But there are just more as children. Mine would, if, if I were if my planet crashed. <laughs> but you have two children, so your wealth would then go well, I guess you and Mindy's wealth would go just directly to your ch- ch- children. There wouldn't be any It doesn't that doesn't redistribute anything. Eventually though, there's a there's a kind of alluvial tale. You need to find out who has ten kids and cough on them. Cough on them. That distributes the wealth somewhat. An order of magnitude. Well, so anyway, you came home. Uh, it was not bad. I, I never had. I just stayed in the guest room downstairs and avoided my family. And, and you didn't give it to Mindy? Never gave it to anybody. Hopefully not even in uh, first class on uh, LATAM or American Airlines or whatever I was We'll playing. never know. You know, I flew on that airline one time and I still get spam emails from them. LATAM? From from 19... When, when did I fly? 2006. And I still get... I still get emails. It's, I mean, it's the, time to press the no gracias button. <laughs> All in Spanish. And I'm like, I'm probably not going to take advantage of this great deal. If you were flying from Peru to the United States in late June of 2022. In first class. <laughs> <laughs> or quote unquote business class. So now, your voice sounds a little scritchy scratchy right now, just to add more, a little more cuteness to it. You had a little sniffle, you had a yeah. little tickle, and now it's a little scritchy scratchy. It was... Uh, so I, after five days, my symptoms started to drop off and it was never, it was just kind of, I was like tired all the time. It was, I never had a fever. Did you have trouble breathing? A little shortness of breath. Um, <coughs> That's the thing I worry about. I don't like, I don't like shortness of breath. What's I your want, favorite length of breath? I want my breaths to be as long as possible. Let me get this straight. Your favorite length of COVID is, is not long. That's your <laughs> least favorite length of COVID. I want but a your short fav- COVID and a long breath. Fair enough. Um, and then within eight to 10 days... I was testing negative antigen testing and running up the stairs as fast as you could. Feeling from, great. Yeah. And and I was just in time to go on this family reunion. I was like, wow, like I quarantined with COVID during the only week this summer where I could have just sat in a room. I was doing the copy edit on my book. It was, it worked out fine. Now that's another thing. You don't like to be inactive. <clears throat> no, it was pretty rough. And so you're, you're trapped in the basement. I, even though I had COVID, I was like, Hey, I'm going to go walk the dogs in the, park i gotta get out of here it was driving me bananas yeah so so i had you, you i had, managed it i had for all mankind season three to watch that was that was what got me through yeah you texted me about that fake space race more times than i needed dear ken please stop talking about <laughs> apple tv uh then so we went to this family reunion again everybody tests negative um Everybody's all together. And Wait a minute. Last day of the trip. <laughs> Wait a minute. Last day of the trip. Somebody gets a sniffle and a tickle. And this is down on the Oregon coast, and yeah. you're with, uh, you know, when you said family reunion, I was like, oh, isn't that sweet? Like mom, dad, the kids, but you that, that would that would just be a family dinner. <laughs> mom, dad, and the kids is not a family reunion. We, but you had twenty people all staying in one house. All my siblings came. Wow. Yeah. Um, so really, no way to predict that anybody could have got COVID. And was you, you uh, not to give too much away? Not to not to indicate to uh, to futurelings that you and I talk offline. But you actually texted me a picture of your brother wearing an omnibus T-shirt. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, why did he have that? Is that true? Did you notice what he had over it? No. A Merge Records a uh, hoodie. A Merge Records Merge hoodie. Merge Records hoodie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he sounds like a great guy. Why I, have I not met your brother? I think you might have met my brother at a Bumbershoot thing. Oh, right. Honestly. <clears throat> but you, you didn't recognize him because he wasn't wearing a Merge Records hoodie <laughs> over an omnibus T-shirt. <laughs> I was like, Nathan, why are you wearing that? 
uh, but it looks good. It's a good looking t-shirt. Was he wearing it to tease you or was he wearing it in uh, out no, of general? To, to stand me, rather. He was standing you. Uh, he was listening to, I guess he listened to one episode on the way to the coast and he listened to the next episode on the way home from the coast. And so which member of the 20 people of your family knows about your career the least? Who's the one that would be like, he's got a what? A podcast. <laughs> um, Who's the person that was evangelized by this? I don't know if anybody asked or cared about the show. I'm sure there were nieces and nephews who don't know or care that I have a podcast. Yeah. They all probably have. I have t- those. They have 10 million TikTok followers. They don't care about my little podcast. I have those nieces and nephews too. You what? Yeah. What's a podcast, they, well, Grandpa? They, they pull one earphone slightly away from their ear. You talking to me? Yeah, nobody. None of them were interrupting Minecraft long enough to uh, to learn about uh, uh, slag or uh, <laughs> whatever I'm, was before slag. I'm so glad that's that slag has. Uh, I'm getting called by spam risk. Should I take this? Spam it. Do hello, it. Hello, Mister Risk. Do it. Open it. Oh, uh, answer it, and let's let's listen to what they say. <laughs> no, we've only had uh, my son Amy Mann and Jason Finn on this show, and Jason was only on an uh, addenda, so it doesn't even count. Um, so you're at a family reunion and the last day, and this was only hours ago. Yes. I drove straight from Oregon to your house. And you're saying someone had a tickle and a sniffle and they started coughing on you. No, th- this was, uh, this was, I don't know. It was before the weekend. I guess it was, it was like three or four days ago, uh-huh. but I've been, we all got PCR tests immediately. I've been antigen testing every day. Uh, only of the 20 people there, four people tested positive. I am doing a Marge Simpson. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a. Mm-hmm. <coughs> um, so. Homer. But it did seem like it made my like symptoms kind of come back from oh. when I had COVID before. Uh, I don't have COVID, John. I antigen tested every morning. But, but I was really in this twilight zone of like, I can't tell what is a symptom and what isn't. Do you, and if you had this for like, my wife has had this for like two and a half years where you're like, wait, am I, am I sick? Is this, wait, do I have COVID? This is it, right? I'm finally getting COVID. Like you, you kind of are not sure if you have a symptom that well, you normally would think you had. There were probably four or five times in the last two and a half years where I definitely had a very unusual symptom for 24 to 48 hours where there was no accounting for it. It wasn't an allergy and it was not a symptom that I uh, associated with normal colds or flus, you know, like one day just had a really terrible sore throat, but then it was gone. Another time had this strange pain in my you know, solar plexus, like several different times where I was like, well, this can only be COVID because I haven't, where would I have gotten? I mean, where would I have gotten anything? Where would I have gotten a cold? But if much less solar plexus, uh, itis. Yeah. But, but if you can get a thing without, without having any opportunity to get it, it's gotta be COVID. And then, you know, the next day it's gone and I, and I have, so it fuels this thing that I think a lot of us had, which is like, oh, maybe I had COVID back in, April of 2020 and everybody wants to get it first. Yeah. I'm sure I had it in the early. No, but people are always saying that. Oh, I'm sure I had it. Yeah. And I'm not sure I had it. I'm pretty sure I didn't have it. Yeah. That's me too. But like, and I, you know, symptoms, but, and I, and I had, you know, I haven't tested positive for 
COVID in three weeks or something. But still, every day I'm like, wait, is that, could I, would I have gotten that tired? The other, I was leaning on a suitcase today to zip it up and I was a little bit like huffing and puffing and I thought, would I have huff and puffed 20% less? Do I have long COVID? I mean, you're getting closer and closer to 50. Right. And That's, when, it's indistinguishable. <laughs> when you turn 50, you get tired just going pee. So, I mean, you know, spoiler alert for those of you who are 49. And it, and uh, and feel energized when you pee. That's, <laughs> that's all, right. That's well, all going to turn on a dime. When you're in your 40s, you're like, I love to pee. And then you're 51 and you're like, oh. That happened to me much younger where just the, the, amazing, the amazing endorphin rush of just, you know, knocking out the back of the urinal kind of went away. Oh, you've lost it already. <laughs> It's not, and not even, not even a, a hydraulic pressure issue. Really, just more of a. This is not really a, a bright spot in my day anymore. No, it's not as fun as it once no, was. This no. is just like an, an, a necessity. Yeah, I'm afraid that that just keeps getting worse. And I think it is. Uh, what am as, I going to replace peeing with? It's as close to long Weed, COVID right? as there is a thing. <laughs> uh, I think. Yeah, what, long COVID uh, is just. Yeah, aging is just the longest COVID. <laughs> Thirty years of like, wait, what is this new thing? Why does my back hurt? What I replaced fun peeing with was uh, fitful sleeping. Mm. That's the that was that was my trade off. We call it polyphasic sleep on the omnibus. Uh, so. What are the chances? Let's just let's just spitball here. What are the chances that you had your COVID times? You went out walking the dog, just spreading COVID to all the the local rabbits, all the neighbors that then I you, could. Then you got over it. Then you immediately went to Oregon, and within a week got a second COVID. I was thinking I'm going to be like on the cover of National Geographic, the only guy that got Omicron twice in two and a half weeks. Um, because but, we, remember, but I didn't, my whole family, my whole family tested negative. But I thought, yeah, this whole tested negative thing. Earlier on in this story, you were like, yeah, everybody tested negative, but we all gave each other COVID. You test negative until you test positive, basically. Yeah, I think right. it's, I think it's more common with Omicron that, like, you know, you get symptoms and then like it takes a couple of days to get a negative test. But you're over there with a top hat and a cane, going, but I tested negative, I tested negative. Yeah, but like my, but my, but my exposure was like five days ago, so. So let me so riddle me this because early on in the uh, early on in the uh, the COVID years we thought that if you got it once then you were then somehow you were those were the days bulletproof I think it was true forever of OG COVID uh, and that's not true anymore you can just get it and amazing get immune it escape apparently get it and get it and like BA four and five are super good at reinfecting people uh, I don't know if you can get reinfected with the same one twice that easily I'm sure I'm. I think I'm probably yeah, but you had good. Idaho slash Peru COVID before. I had, yeah, I had now, COVID. Now you have Utah, Oregon COVID. Hmm. Yeah. Are, there, are those different variants? I don't know. I'm not a immunologist. I'm just a I'm just a guy sitting across from another guy, not wanting to get getting COVID. breathed on. I uh, am as bulletproof as you can get. I, I I have what's I have the best thing, which is. A positive test three weeks ago. Oh, I thought you were going to say a positive mental attitude. And a, and a positive mental attitude. And you, you have good nutrition. <laughs> right. I believe that... I believe Clean that, living yeah. and a will to win. <laughs> but I do, but for, for the last couple of weeks, I have had this thing where uh, like, I literally can't tell what symptoms I have. And long COVID is right. very tricky anyway. There have been years of discussion about to what level it's psychosomatic... And a lot of doctors were dismissing patients. Isn't this like the Lyme disease thing where sure, or, 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 or chronic, chronic fatigue, fatigue Epstein-Barr? People are like, oh, it doesn't exist. There's except- all these syndromes where there's such a weird cluster of symptoms that it becomes very, you know, you never identify the agent. Um, 
It, it seems that long COVID is indubitably real. Indubitably. This is the new thing we're going to say now. <laughs> I love it. You, you're saying undoubtedly over indubitably. there. Indubitably. You're saying undoubtedly over there like it's 2021. I'm not going to say it anymore. I'm going to say indubitably. In 2022, we say indubitably. Kendrick's going to start saying it. Um, the CDC estimates that roughly 30% of people who get COVID are still having symptoms, whatever, you know, whatever they define six, six weeks later. 30%. I know, right? And 85 million Americans have been confirmed as having COVID. If you broaden it to, you know, who's got antigens and blood tests or whatever, it's probably more like 200 million. That's two thirds of the country. 30% of 200 million means what? One in five Americans right now theoretically has long COVID. And it's a spectrum. It could be everything from I get a little tired or easily or I'm my breathing's not great all the way to i have blood clots kidney failures heart attacks diabetes i mean it it, it could be it seems to be like it could be any, everything somehow it somehow attacks every bodily system at once but in theory this could be what some epidemiologists and public health experts are calling a mass disabling event suddenly you know a quarter of the country has this new syndrome that's going to dog them and affect their medical outcomes and health outcomes, wellness outcomes for the rest of their life. I, I read an article about this recently that it was um, that China's continued like super lockdown policy yeah. is really uh, implemented with this idea in mind. But you you that don't want to keep getting it, right? Well, no, that this is actually like a contest of nation states oh. and that – Long COVID, that the Chinese are conscious or very aware of long COVID as a thing. And they're saying this is going to make the next superpower will be the country that uh, doesn't get long COVID. Yeah, exactly. That it, that it will uh, that it will decrease American power over the next 50 years. It's like we're playing some weird uh, uh, Slovenian board game where we're all trying to amass resources, but it turns out at the end, somebody's going to be like, Nope, I had the longest, I had the shortest COVID card. That's right. That's 15 bonus points. <laughs> that puts my civilization over the top. The rest of you get washed into the sea. It's so hard these days as someone who has l- largely not fallen for conspiracies. You know, our lives have been, you know, remember when we were young and there were only four conspiracies? Now there are 400 conspiracies. Um and new ones every day. New ones every day. And this one, like Chinese are playing the long game, waiting for our civilization to slowly run out of breath. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be that slow. <laughs> like if I were just, if I was just like a Chinese a party member with access to CNN, I would be like, things are looking very good for us, comrades. Like uh, it's, it's getting rough over there. Everybody stay home. Not just COVID, but yes, among other things, COVID. Uh, I was I was reading this Atlantic piece on how if this really is a mass disabling event, you'd think you'd start to see um, in, leading indicators now. Disability claims would start to tick up. There's like a monthly um, National Institute of Health survey that you know asks people, you know, on a scale of one to ten, how's your how you feeling? How's your sleeping? How's your whatever? Could you run it? You know, how's your endurance? Blah, blah, blah. I want to take this test. I'm going to give zero stars to a lot of those questions. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> well, then you don't get President Kennedy's little certificate. <laughs> how's your peeing? <laughs> zero stars. Not as pleasurable as in my 20s. How's your sleeping? Zero stars. President star. Biden. Uh, basically, there's been no uptick in either of these indicators. Oh. 
So now we're faced with, there, there's been a slight indicator in, a, I guess the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics for unemployment purposes asks people, hey, are you well enough to go to work? And that has ticked up slightly from 7.5% of people saying, no, I'm not well enough to go to work, all the way up to 8%. Shirkers. Over the last year. <laughs> yeah. These lazy losers. So wait a minute. Uh, well, who's talking about long COVID as a disabil- uh, d- disabling illness culture-wide if no one is reporting feeling sick? Well, in, you know, individuals are certainly reporting it uh, in enough numbers that pro- healthcare providers can see it, hospitals can see it. It's just that if it's going to be the societal-wide thing, are these indicators just lagging or is it less severe than we think? Um the degree to which these symptoms are kind of psychosomatic, you have to report things like just how malaise I'm feeling, how achy I'm feeling, how good my breathing generally is. What if you have an achy, breaky heart? Ooh. Does that count? Yeah, COVID, COVID can affect the circulatory system. Okay. Absolutely. All right. We need to protect bilirious iris at all costs. Yes. We need a China-style lockdown in Nashville only. <laughs> I've said that for years. And only to protect bilirious iris. I'm one of these... I'm a, My hot take is that... Um, Dolly Parton can take care of herself. Dolly is going to survive. Yeah, exactly. All these people are like, we must protect Dolly Parton. No, she's fine. Also, I don't know if she's in Nashville anymore. Or you if, think she's up? In, I don't even know. If you she think ever she's up in Nashville. Pigeon Forge riding her own, <laughs> riding is. her own roller coasters? I think she is. We watched nine to five two days ago. So Let's, is that nine to three then? <clears throat> nope. No. <laughs> is it uh, seven to three? No. It's, it's, uh, no, it's nor is it twenty five. Nor six to four. Uh, let me just recommend to our listeners that you watch the movie, the hit, uh, comedy. One of the biggest hit movies of 1982. 1980. 1980. And if you look at the- That movie's older than I thought. If you look at the fashion in nine to five, uh, it will astonish you. There's a lot of fashion in that movie. How much of it is on Dabney Coleman? How much of it is wide, wide ties, wide silk ties on Mr. Coleman? That's the thing. It's not- you you want to think like oh 1970s it's going to be gross but actually the style is all like really killer Dabney Coleman looks amazing but all of the women's outfits are this was the era of the knee length skirt mm. and the and the professional pumps and oh boy just winners from one scene to the next you're like give me a break that blouse it's killing me well i mean it's impossible to make Jane Fonda or Lily Tomlin or, or Dolly Parton look bad. They're, they're going to look great. I think if the movie had been made in 1986, everybody would have looked terrible. Because they'd all have Melanie Griffith yeah, shoulder big pads? Melanie Griffith shoulder pads, exactly. No, no, no. This was... Uh, go, stop listening to Omnibus right now and go watch 9 to 5 and then come back and listen to the rest of the show. How has nobody remade 9 to 5? Oh, wow. Right? They could totally ruin it by remaking it. With, yes, but it would be like a it would be a young, fun Latina cast. Yeah, it it would be kind of like redoing um, the Parent Trap. I'm am- <laughs> I'm amazed that there's no twenty mm, first century. Why, why don't we use your Hollywood connections and pitch that film? What they need is nine to five remade by two middle aged white guys. Here's as our producer. Writers. Here's our high concept: nine to five, but we make it now. Wait, nine to five, but the boss is a woman and the employees are men. No, this is not the time for that movie, John. <laughs> is that some Kurt Cameron, uh, Dean Cain joint you're yeah, working on? Yeah, yeah, It's like a, uh, I mean, it's going to come out on, on the Tyler Durden network. I mean, that, that movie is basically horrible bosses. I guess we could say that nine to five has been remade with Jennifer Aniston as Dabney Coleman. Never saw horrible Jennifer bosses. Aniston should remake all of Dabney Coleman's roles. Jennifer Aniston and, uh, Jennifer Aniston in War Games. I love it. Jennifer Aniston in Cloak and Dagger. Love it. <laughs> it's going to be, it's gonna be <laughs> signing so off on all of these. 
The uh, uh, but I'm a Jennifer Aniston fan. I'm not going to ever say I'm a Jennifer Aniston stan. I don't. I, that's a that's a thing I'm not going to adopt. You, you don't stan. I don't stan. Staniston. Staniston. So, so I've been having these, you know, symptoms where I wonder if I have symptoms, and it's co- it's caused me to ponder much on the connection between mind and body. Did you have these before? I mean, because you're in excellent health, you probably never. You never go, huh? Maybe I have congestive heart failure. No, but once a week during COVID, I have at the at the going to bed at night been like I often get like when I get a cold, I get the symptoms first at night. Yeah, yeah. And so pretty much once a week, I will go to bed thinking that's it, something in the, something in the back of my sinuses. I can sense it. But you I'm going to wake up with a cold, and it's going to be full blown COVID. You're not someone who goes, I I think I have brain cancer. Like I'm not a hypochondriac. Okay. I'm not scrolling through WebMD wondering what. Because I'm just, uh, it's probably because nothing catastrophic has ever happened to my health. Right. So I just assume, oh, I'm going to be in great shape forever. I'm, I'm, and also I'm immortal, basically. because God smiles upon you, right? This, when you look up at the sun, it's a laughing baby. <laughs> That's right. It's a laughing baby who says, Ken, you will never age or get sick. Neither wilt thou wither. No withering, says the baby. Uh, yes. And it's a subject for the show now that we're an hour and a half into it. Yes. It concerns this connection between mind and body, between a, attitude and a, wellness. A connection? A connection, if, if you will. A conjunction uh, in our connective tissue between mind and body. When you read about what's commonly called the placebo effect, what's your experience reading about the, the placebo effect? Do you remember the age when you suddenly had somebody tell you, do you know if you just take a, a, a fake pill, sugar pill, it'll relieve your symptoms just as well? And you were like, what? Everything I thought I knew about science-based medicine is a lie. We talk about it around here a lot because one of the members of my ho- household is currently involved in a clinical trial. <gasps> and so she is taking daily medicaments. Without knowing, without knowing if they're whether, inert or ert. Right. But she is complaining of experiencing symptoms that are affecting the quality of her daily life. Which she takes to be side effects of the drug, should it be the non-placebo. It seems very unlikely that they would give you a placebo that intentionally gave you bad feelings, illness, in order just to monkey with your head. It's a sugar pill, but we put in a teensy (laughs) amount of arsenic. (laughs) Uh, So, but but the concept of placebo, you know, we... It, it is entirely possible that she's taking a sugar pill every day. And, is and is she aware of the concept of the nocebo effect? I don't. I don't know. Is it like a noceum? Because I've been bitten by them. <laughs> they suck. It's you like, can't even see them. It's like the placebo effect, but you're wearing a Japanese mask. Oh, should, we do have some Japanese masks around here, but not in a cultural appropriation way. No, no. We celebrate diversity. It's here. it's to salute Rami Malek in the in the latest James Bond movie. Mm, ugh, God, that was a terrible role. He was really underused. I don't understand how he could have been. Um, isn't it that he has some twenty-year backstory with Bond? And isn't yeah. Rami Malek like thirty-three? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't understand how that works. No, I don't either. I, the motivation of that character throughout was not uh, was garbled. I think everyone knew going into this entry that we were going to complain about the villain in No Time to Die, and now we have, and we can move on. Okay. Ken, you know I'm a writer. Yes, you love making content. The I world do. doesn't have enough, and you're like, here's the fire hose. Here comes some content. The thing is, I make a lot of content, but I don't put it in the fire hose because I want a more integrated community, and uh, and I don't know where to find it. Are you saying you would like some kind of 
fully integrated commenting system that allows for threaded comments and replies and likes, like you have your very own little social media platform for your content? That's exactly what I want to do. And I want it optimized for mobile. I want my contact, uh, my content to adjust. So my site looks great on any device, but I'm at a loss. You, John, need the powerful blogging tools of Squarespace. It's easy with Squarespace to set up a website that does all that. Categorize, share, and schedule your posts. You can cross-post so you put something up once and it knows how to send it in the right format to Twitter or Tumblr or Facebook, whatever you want. Everything optimized and tagged and ready to go. Squarespace sounds great. It does. Well, I'm I'm so excited. Uh, you know, this is exactly what I've been looking for. So, so what do I do? John, I want you right now to head to squarespace.com slash omnibus. Stop whatever you're doing. <laughs> Go to squarespace.com slash omnibus and start your free trial. And when you're ready to launch, then you just use offer code omnibus and you're going to save not two, not five, but 10% off your first purchase of a Squaresite website or domain. Well, thank you to Squarespace for supporting Omnibus and the Omnibus Project. Help us by helping yourself. Go to squarespace.com slash omnibus and put in the offer code omnibus to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. The nocebo effect is kind of the inverse of the placebo effect, whereby if you are given a drug and you know what the side effects are claimed to be, you will experience the ill side effects even if you are getting the sugar pill oh you'll you'll the placebo effect is not a is not a um, uh, guaranteed positive right i see it's not just that you'll be like i'm cured could your family member have known what the uh what the potential side effects of the i i, I don't think so is? because if you li- if you read a list of potential side effects um they're all the same dizziness uh uh nausea um, potential heart attack. Every drug has all uh, these. Might cause death. Yeah, there's there's 40 different possibilities that every time you take an aspirin. So I, I don't think you could, I don't think you could zoom in unless you did a lot of online research of like, what's the worst that people feel? I remember as a kid just getting my brain blown by the idea that non-medicines work as well in some cases as medicines, which is how the placebo effect was described to me. And but f- isn't it why... Voodoo works and and why I mean it's it's like that's it, your explanation for okay it's, <laughs> it's nothing nothing to talk about John's solved it and it's just the same as voodoo so but you know there are Haitian loa <laughs> who are changing your your neuroendocrine system new, new age medicine or really All, any kind of alternative basically any medicine in Germany that doesn't involve like open heart surgery it's just about giving you like vibes vibes right. Why would you want healing vibes? Why would you want surgery? Why would you want arth- arthroscopic? I I tried to say arthroscopic and it didn't happen for me. You just said it though. Good job. All you had to do was not think about your stutter. Okay, I am not thinking about my knee or getting surgery on it. Here we go. All why would you want arthroscopic surgery on your knee when you could just give your knee better vibes? I mean, it's Christian Science. You've just you've just broken it down. Turn on some the weekend. Uh. You're talking about the musician? Yes. Or turn on... Yeah, or turn on the concept of the, the weekend in your mind. Put on uh-huh. a shirt that says TGIF. Uh, the, I remember over the years, you, my experience with the placebo effect is mostly reading 
kind of brain-boggling pop science headlines about the degree, the unlikely, improbable degree of specificity to which the placebo effect can can influence people. Um, you know, the color of the pill you take apparently affects the the level of the the placebo response. What's the hot color? Well, it depends on what you want. It turns out to sleep aids, blue. Blue convinces people they're getting a good sleep aid. When you said sleep aid, I I saw a blue pill. Anxiety. What do you want for anxiety? Uh, yellow. Close. Green. Green. Green is, is oh, what chills people sure. out. Green's pretty chill. And all these are better than white, by the way. If you give somebody a white pill and say, this might be the real pill or not, they will have less of a positive effect than somebody who's given a colored pill and said, this might be the real pill or not. You're uh, more likely to think a colored pill is real, you're saying. Yes. The size of the pill, a larger pill, appears to increase the body's placebo response. Oh. Uh, Why would they give me all this pill? <laughs> right. This must didn't... be good. Yeah, it's got full look of at, stuff. Look at this. It's, this. it's the size of a ping pong ball. Or uh, the, if you get more of a dosage, like somebody who takes four pills, t- is told to take four pills, will uh, will experience a, a better placebo response than somebody taking two. That makes sense to me. There's even something called the honest placebo effect which is an attempt to get around some of the ethical issues with giving placebos. Sick people uh, sugar pills? Uh, You'll be fine. We can't tell you. It seems kind of sucky. This might work, but there's a 50-50 chance that you're getting the... Yeah, the bad stuff. We've got fifty people in this uh, in this trial, and half of them are going to die. <laughs> to this to this day, there's no widespread uh, c- medical consensus on best ethical practices for for placebos. It's it's not clear. You know, some I think the general consensus is you can't give a placebo for any illness where there is a a, a known treatment because then you're depriving somebody of a, of a good established treatment. Right. So you can really only use a placebo for things that are kind of untreatable. Well, what's interesting about the the clinical trial that's going on in this house. In the, this very house. Uh, or I'm sorry, above the bunker, in the house that resides above the bunker, secreting us Probably about from eight, satellites. Six to eight feet above your head right now. Uh, is that... Is a control group or not? In researching the uh, the drug... We realize that the drug is just a comp. You're not supposed to research the drug. Well, it's like being on a jury. It's me. I can't not research things. I was like, well, tell me what, tell me the thing. And then I'm like, well, what about this? That's, this is the sound of me researching. This is the sound of you messing with science. Science is going downhill from your tech attack attack. So then I realize, oh, it's a compound. It's a compound of, of, um, like, uh, drugs that we can get over the counter and combine with our own mortar and pestle. Uh, you could start doing your own control group with, so, with pets. So it so it seemed like oh this is this is a, the, a late stage trial. So there's a lot of suggestion that this drug is is going to be uh, is going to have efficacy. Unless something goes wrong here, this is going on the market. It's indubitable. <laughs> And so why would we mess around with this clinical trial on behalf of some other people when we could just, you know, I could just grind this stuff up and we make it here at home. We'll snort it before every, every meal. And then you could even make your own placebos. We sat at, we sat on the couch and we had a long uh, talk and we, and we realized that the work here is to help others that you are, you participate in a trial in order to serve the greater good. It's the opposite of my impulse being like, if I have COVID, I really don't want to be in the <laughs> in global Peru. in the global south. I'm <laughs> gonna put on a 95 and get on. A it's plane. kind of the opposite of that, but you know, around here we often do things for the greater good. It's part of uh, you know being 
You often think liberals. You often think, what would Ken do? And then you're like, ah, that's sociopathy. Let me do the opposite. <laughs> but what's nice about it is that after the clinical trial is over, we don't have to then wait for the whole study to, you know, for the drug to finally be approved by the FDA and all that baloney. We can just immediately go back to sure. my whole hammer and pe- and I've been making it in the garage this whole time. So you, we've got, got vats. Yeah. <laughs> The nocebo effect is so pronounced, the, you know, the fact that these side effects, like your family member thinks she might be experiencing. I never specified her gender. You never specified her gender? <clears throat> Just her pronouns. <laughs> uh, the, um, I'm just wondering what male family members you now have around here. I, am I finally going to meet... Uh, <laughs> Ruprecht? What was the guy's name on My Three Sons? Uncle, Uncle, Uncle Freddy or whatever? Yeah. Uh, there, there was a study of erectile dysfunction where there was a study of a drug where they were, t- the patients were told, Hey, erectile dysfunction. Finally, we get to erectile might, dysfunction. Might, in might be the side effect. The, the real goal of all pharmaceutical research, <laughs> the Holy grail <laughs> after we cure cancer, we're still going to be like boners. How are we two guys all on either side of the age of 50? And we've never talked about erectile dysfunction once in five years of doing this show or off the air. I don't believe it has never come up. <laughs> Oh, then you might need you might need a pill if it's never oh, come up. Oh, where's my belt? I had to. Everybody listening was saying that in their head. So if I didn't say it, they'd be angry. I get so many angry letters from people saying, "Why don't you acknowledge Ken's jokes?" <laughs> I do. I hear about it all the time. There are whole threads on the internet like Ken made this joke and John didn't acknowledge it. Do you do you think that he was trying? They to, think you don't get it. Or there's there there are those people. They like John didn't get it, and then there are the people that are like, I think John is negging Ken by not acknowledging his puns. What about Occam's Razor, which is the joke was indeed not funny? <laughs> like, what's the most parsimonious explanation here? I keep, Ken told an unfunny joke and John didn't laugh. I can't I can't believe it. I keep trying to wade in and say. I do not acknowledge puns. I don't acknowledge them, Sam, I am. I don't acknowledge them on a boat. I do not acknowledge them in a coat. Having been told that these people, um, you might get erectile dysfunction, uh, 15% of people uh, who did, were not told that uh, did not, only, sorry, only 15% of people who were not told that was a possible side effect experienced erectile dysfunction. Just by being told that it could happen, the 44% of people on the sugar pill uh, started to have problems. I feel, I feel like the I feel like probably sixty percent of the people in the study were having erectile dysfunction. No, no, they no. just didn't want to acknowledge it, and then they were like, "Wait a minute." Do you think they realized? Do you think they just subtracted women here? They should. Oh, you know what it is. I bet that the people that that claimed to be having it were just trying to get out of sex with their wife. <laughs> They're like, "Sorry, honey, erectile dysfunction doesn't exist." <laughs> Sorry, I don't have. I can't. I would. I would. There is even a case of someone taking 26 of his placebo pills and trying to commit suicide with them. By Can you commit suicide by not getting erections? You get so little of an erection that it kills you? This is a bummer. You jump off a bridge. No, this is a different test with a different drug. It's an attempt at suicide with sugar pills. Uh, Anyway, uh, his his blood pressure got dangerously low. You don't remember who we were talking about. The guy that took 26 uh, boner pills. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and but these were fake. These were sugar pills. Yeah, he took twenty six of his placebos, thinking I'll end it all. And he got his blood pressure got super low, and doctors were worried. And then they were like, "Actually, uh, we've checked, and these are inactive. You didn't take anything." In which case, his blood pressure, his blood pressure just immediately, immediately rebounded. And from wow. from headlines like these, you kind of get the idea there's something magical about not just the placebo effect, but the 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 mind that we have an amazing amount of control over the 
wellness of our bodies through some kind of mystical, unexplained means. So, so let me ask you, <clears throat> in my own family, the, uh, the legend is that my grandmother, she, her, her, my, my father sold her house, uh, while she was living in it with the, and the, and part of the contract was that she could live there as long as she, as she could live there the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. But that at a certain point, my grandmother looked around and realized that she was no longer needed. Uh, and according to my mom went from being perfectly healthy to dead in 10 days, she sat down and didn't get back up. And according to my mom willed herself to pass. Um, People kind of deciding to let go, I think, is a known. You can see it just actuarially looking by uh, looking at people's survival in the calendar year. People are pretty good at surviving until a birthday, and then there's a big statistical bump in who dies after, or just like having the day passed after the Christmas or something. Yeah, having whatever the thing they were looking forward. Saint to. Patrick's Day, I bet, is a big one. Or the people who die very soon after a beloved spouse. Um, so if if you can do something that extreme can't you also use your mind to it isn't isn't help i mean i i don't want to sound like a german naturopath but why are you always getting the germans for this because god ken i have bad allergies and, and homeopathy doesn't work it doesn't <laughs> i need pseudoephedrine to clear my sinuses and when you go to europe you go into a pharmacist and they're like pseudoephedrine that's as bad as heroin but we will give you... You need echinacea. Yeah, this tincture of made up, you know, ground up tree leaves. And it doesn't work. And I'm mad at them. I mean, there's certainly a lot of overlap today between practitioners of, of natural or alternative medicines and... Uh, the sugar pill and, and research. Yeah, the big sugar. <laughs> like people just aren't are eating healthier today. So what are they going to do with all that sugar? CNH. You, you have to put it in little... cane sugar. <laughs> You'll cure anything. Uh, so the effects of lots of these alternative medicines that, you know, have centuries or millennia of apparently successful practice, acupuncture and so forth, could possibly be chalked up to a a placebo effect. Have have you had acupuncture? The patient thinks they're going to work, not on purpose. Well, you had accidental acupuncture? I was just playing with a cactus in uh, Huntington Gardens. This this sounds like something where you were were in a first-class seat and... Was I supposed to to find my meridians or or think about chi or something? I don't know. I had acupuncture one time, and it was profound. But it was not a control group. You you knew somebody was... You knew a wise man was sticking needles into you. It was a young woman, but but she did seem very wise. And uh, I knew it was happening. I don't need to know about your social life. (laughs) I knew it was happening. Yes, I was there. It's not a double blind test then. But it was like, it was We need to roofie you and then acupuncture you and see what happens. Wackadoodle is what it was. Uh, So you felt better in your back, knee, groin, whatever it was. No, I'm not going to say that I felt better, but I went on a journey. (laughs) It was terrible. It was a terrible journey. It was like getting COVID in Peru. It was super wild. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't, you know, I went in there because my neck hurt and I came out. And I could, for three days, I could see around corners. The idea that the pop, that the layperson may have about the placebo effect, which is that the body has magical abilities to cure just about everything, tends to be a misconception. Okay. The word placebo goes back to the fourth century when St. Jerome, in his tr- Latin translation of the Bible, got to the 114th Psalm. And as you know, John, Psalm 114, verse 9 reads, 
Uh, <clears throat> uh, beyond this place of wrath and fears uh, looms the horror of the shade. <laughs> that's, that's a loose translation. Yeah, more or less. Uh, St. Jerome wrote, Placebo domino in regioni vivorum. Uh, I will please God in the land of the living. So that's pretty close to what you were saying. Yeah. The, the land of the living the op- being the opposite of the what the land of ice and snow or whatever it was you said. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Placebo being Latin for I will please. Oh, um, I will please. That line became, that, that line, that verse from the Psalms became commonly used in, uh, in liturgical chants, like in the Vespers chant, which means it was used in funerals and in medieval times. Um, because of the word placebo's appearance in uh, Latin funeral chants, the word became used for, and I, I love that this is a thing, in the Middle Ages, people who would crash a funeral just to get um, the, the refreshments. This was a thing even back yes. then? Yes, there were wedding crashers. Wow. Because there would, there would be a big feast. At a, a feast was customary at a funeral. Sure. And so a lot of people would show up, and you wouldn't be like, oh, how did, how did you know the the deceased or how did you know the bereaved family right. a lot of people would just show up and be like i'll have some i'll have some more lamb chops please <laughs> um and so because of that a placebo became used for this kind of a gate crasher and it, and and chaucer wrote about them in a can in canterbury's tale he says flatterers are the devil's chaplains always singing placebo you know because the idea is that they would be i will please i will please yes uh and i think maybe because of the association with you know, singing the funeral march or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, they're they're kiss ups. They're psychophants. A placebo was a a people pleaser, or a and, and with the the overtones of being a deceiver because they've snuck into the feast. In one of and there's another in another of the Canterbury Tales, Merchant's Tale. There's a character named Placebo who is a bit of a psychophant and tells the protagonist exactly what he wants to hear. I love that you're saying psychophant. Sycophant. Sycophant. Sycophant is what I would say, but. But psychophant is a Kenism. I don't want to say sick in a show about the placebo effect. Both are correct, although Webster's does prefer. Oh, actually, Webster, yeah, Webster's prefers sycophant, sycophant, also psychophant, also either with fant. So I psychophant. Picked, but I picked the least Webster's approved solution on every axis. It's a rare. It's a rare uh, pronunciation, but but we'll allow it. <laughs> it's an old code, but it checks out. Um, so I guess the question is whether you want sick to be in it accidentally or psycho to be in it accidentally. That's what, that, that was what struck, uh, what struck me. Cause I, I wouldn't think it's, it's, it's it psycho. sounds like I'm saying psycho fan. It does. Yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying with a P silent P. So, um, is that where the plus the word, is that where placebo was popularized in Chaucer? Yeah. I think Chaucer is the first poetic use of it you know because he's the one that says they're always singing i will please i will please but it becomes used in um apparently it entered the medical literature quite early mid-18th century there's a scottish obstetrician named william smelly oh uh-huh, sure okay. wow <laughs> just, go on. just going to my OBGYN, <laughs> dr smelly uh he wrote about some about some medical procedure it will be convenient to prescribe some innocent Placemus, and it's got a different ending, but it's still a Latin conjugation of the same 
verb to to please. And was he doing this like as a kind of this guy is a hypochondriac, get him out of here, give him a fake pill and get him out? I mean, nothing here says it's fake, but he does say it's innocent. Like, yeah, I think it is kind of like, you know, just let's just give him something harmless, you know, take two of these and call me in the morning. Cuz that's the other that's the other use of placebo that we see in popular culture is this person's a hypochondriac, they're crazy, give them a give, tell them that this is a powerful drug and and they can um Doctors should not be doing that. That's, they can go have. Well, this is like the this is the cartoon version, right? It. But it's completely unethical. Like, oh, oh. yeah, like a, a doctor, a physician, I think would regard it as an ethical lapse to be like, this will be great. I mean, maybe he can give you like a vitamin supplement and then feel like, well, I didn't lie to the guy. He may oversell the benefits. I see. Um, but you shouldn't give somebody something inert and be like, this is it. Like, you'll feel you'll feel better in a week. Um, it's thought that harnessing the placebo response in that way is. Is, uh, is unethical to the patient. You're deceiving the patient about his or her own, about their own uh, treatment course. And they should have agency over that, I guess. Um, but the idea that you could use a, 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 a duplicate inactive treatment to test the efficacy of something um, begins not too long after Dr. Smelly's time. The late 18th century was a real time of quackery. Lots of people showing up in royal courts and being like, check it out. You just need to chew on this or you just need to, um, you know, put this up your butt. And, you know, people would say. Depending on who you know in Seattle, that's still the truth. Yeah. Yes, please. (laughs) Um, The first case I could find of uh, somebody using a placebo in in a medical trial happened in 1784 with that famous historical team up of Louis XVI and Benjamin Franklin. Oh, I loved it when those two got together. Sparks would fly. They'd, Song and dance. They'd solve crimes. <laughs> uh, Franklin was at the time the American ambassador to the uh, French court. Uh, Louis XVI's uh, wife, Marie Antoinette, had been quite taken by uh, the uh, the wooings and the seducings of Dr. Mesmer. Oh, yeah. Franz Mesmer, uh, kind of a self-styled doctor who told people that they, he had a magical healing fluid. He mesmerized them. The source of our word, mesmerized. And I guess he had a variety of different kinds of treatments that he had pioneered. In one case, uh, he would just have people uh, hold a magnetized tree. And this does raise the question, first of all... How do you magnetize a tree? How would one magnetize a tree? And I don't think Dr. Mesmer was actually too concerned with the nuts okay. and bolts of this. But he would tell people, hey, go hug this mesmerized tree, and their symptoms would go away. And Louis XVI thought Marie Antoinette was being taken for a ride, and you know he was just paying this guy for nothing. Because Mesmer was like, some diseases can only be uh, relieved by spanking and tickling. <laughs> that's that's what to this day in France, like the Germans love weird homeopathy, and in France they just want to tickle you with a feather duster. That's right. Uh, in your undercarriage, it, it cures everything, even headaches. Uh, so under the supervision of Ben Franklin, who was a respected scientist, Louis, King Louis assembled some of his greatest minds of his court, Antoine Lavoisier, Dr. Guillotin, who ironically, we, we hear about later. It turns out Louis the 16th maybe should not have, <laughs> should not have uh, encouraged the medical work of Dr. Guillotin. There were, it turned out there were some downsides to that for him. Uh, and they, so what they did was they thought, well, we'll just tell this guy we magnetize some trees and we'll see what happens. And sure enough, on the unmagnetized trees, all the patients were like, no, Dr. Mesmer's right. My rheumatism is gone. There you go. And King Lou's like, hey, guess what? I just invented 
placebos. Uh, shortly thereafter, in 1799, I had never heard of this. Uh, an American doctor named Elisha Perkins had invented a method that he called metallic tractors, whereby it was, I think it was the first patent, is this right? The first patent ever granted under the uh, American Constitution. Like the first patent in American history is like, hold on to these metal rods and it'll draw the the sickly fluid out of your uh, humors. How have we not done an omnibus on this? On Elisha Perkins and his metallic tractors? Apparently it was a huge sensation. Everybody thought it was a uh, panacea for everything. That's redundant. George Washington uh, owned a, a set of track, metallic tractors. Is it Were they just like joysticks that you hung on to and, the, and it would draw the... Yeah. The black bile out of you? Yeah, I think it's pretty similar to a magnetized tree, but it's oh, smaller. Like okay. when you're on vacation, you can't you can't just magnetize a tree or bring a magnetized tree. Right. You need something that can fit in your carry-on. Um, so these were metal rods you would hold. And it, they made it their way across the Atlantic. And uh, then as now, well, you'd think that the Yankee Sharps of New England would have complained, but it took a... It took, it the, took Louis the Sixteenth. It took the <laughs> British to say, oh. what is this American hayseedery? Yes. A Dr. Haygarth of Bath... Um, decided, uh, here's what I'll do. I'll paint some wooden dowels with metallic paint, and I'll get some people to hold the real metallic tractors that I bought from Dr. Perkins himself, and I'll get some people to hold these wooden dowels, and we'll see who reports uh, a health improvement. He was surprised. Uh, this goes beyond what Louis XVI discovered. He was surprised to find not just that um, he was able to, to fool someone, but they, they both worked equally well. That the wooden and the, the the wooden and the metallic tractors, the patients reported the same benefit, and he and he thought does that not potentially prove that wood is also a, a, a metallic tractor? Well, apparently it can be magnetized a, a in magnetized tree form. Tractor? Uh, if you believe Doctor Mesmer, <laughs> he ascribed it to faith. He thought, ah, the it's it's we all know the the amazing powers of faith in the Christian God. Apparently, it has healing powers in this case as well. The patient believed that God could heal them, and thus it did. Wait, how, how, when, when did God enter into it? Well, what else could you have faith in? Magnetism. Oh, right. Maybe that's what he meant. A belief, <laughs> a belief in the amazing power of magnets. Yes. How do they work? Uh, the, the modern study of uh, placebos, we're going to jump like ahead 150 years. <laughs> That's the explosion of... Us landing 100 years later. Dr. Henry Beecher writes a landmark work called The Powerful Placebo. Uh, in the common... Is this from Beecher's Cheese? No. Beecher's unrelated. Shampoo? Is that a shampoo? I'm not sure. I'm just throwing... Yes, that ideas. one's true then. Okay. Yes. He Good. invented Beecher's Shampoo. Uh, he, uh, the common folklore about him is that he had been a medic during World War II. In some cases, some versions... Anzio and some versions Normandy and some versions the Pacific. That seems like something you could check out. This can be checked, and we will do so in a minute. Oh, okay. But when Dr. Beecher's placebo research is mentioned, it's almost always uh, claimed that it began in World War II, where during a shortage of morphine, he had to put some patients on a saline drip and was still able to perform medical procedures and surgeries on them. Oh, okay. Without them experiencing pain. I think I've read about this. There's a MASH episode about it, which might be what you're thinking of. That is what I'm thinking And of. I think that's what most people think of, because the story about Dr. Beecher turns out to be totally untrue. They are thinking of Colonel Potter. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> there, there are some scattered mentions of this story in the late 60s, which would predate the season six finale of MASH, in which 
Colonel Potter runs out of morphine and gives everybody saline drip and it magically works to Winchester's shock. However, um, we talk about MASH more than you'd think on this podcast. Um, but most of the mentions of Beecher having done this wartime experiment actually post-date MASH, oh. which makes me think this is what cemented it in the public consciousness. Right. Because Potter reports it as a thing that that happened during World War One and Two that medics all know about. Um, is there any evidence that medics did this or knew about it? Beecher did something similar, which I think got blown out of proportion. He was a battlefield medic who reported that um, a third of the time when he offered morphine to his to his wounded patients, they would not take it. And he had noticed that in private civilian practice, people were desperate to avoid pain, that they would plead for pain relief. And he thought, this is something about the state of mind on a, on a battlefield. Um, these men are no longer afraid of pain. Things are already about as bad and stressful as they can get. Um, their mind is doing something that has the same pain fighting, oh, uh, yeah. you know, that gives them the same kind of pain resistance that you would expect from a, from an analgesic. You know, it's such a different experience to be like pre-pain. I'm going to cut into you. I know. And so do you want medicine? Yes, I do. As opposed to like, how much worse can I feel than this hot bullet in my abdomen? Like, it's not going to be worse for you to, to take it out. And I wonder if that distinction is greater than the the power of the mind that that Beecher ascribed. Because he found that, you know, when he did research, basically his is the the root of all 20th century findings about placebo. Um, This idea we have that the body has a mysterious and powerful way to cure just about anything if you can only unleash it. So Beecher was real and also a scientist? Yeah, no, Beecher published The Powerful Placebo after the war. It's just that the story of him him treating... um, wound injury victims with saline was not true. I see. Um, but he was a World War II medic who became interested in the power of the mind. He seems to have overselled, overselled? Oversold. Yeah, he oversold it. He overselled it. Uh, he put too many cells Indubitably. in it. Uh, in the 90s, his work has been reassessed. and it's, It was discovered to be incompatible with Marxism. It was discovered that he had avoided many of the intervening factors that can appear here to make uh, uh, basically that there are lots of other things that can lead to recovery when you're given an inactive drug besides belief. Such as? Uh, The most important would be regression to the mean. Basically, somebody who has very severe symptoms is more likely to go back to their baseline than they are to get more severe symptoms. So if you're doing a test of people who have are, have a specific ailment in, in some acute form, the most likely outcome is that all of them, whether they get the good stuff or not, are going to get better. And Unless they die. <laughs> yeah, that's a way of getting better. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> then they're Your with, pain goes away. Then they're with God or Vishnu or whoever. Uh, and Beecher really did not account statistically for how much of the placebo bump would just come from, look, everybody's getting better. There's also an everybody getting better effect because lots of the diseases you check for are temporary and self-limiting. You know, somebody who's in, there are some kinds of pain that are chronic, but there are some things you would try to treat that are going to get better in a month anyway. So when you're he, getting better and you're getting better and you're getting better. So when he went through the literature looking for all the, all the tests that have been done, you know, in, inactive sugar pill control group versus active ingredient, which I think was a pretty recent in, 
uh, introduction then. I think, uh, you know, painted dowels are one thing, but the idea that you would have a double blind thing and you would give some people a fake pill so that even they wouldn't know that so, they weren't getting the real thing. That goes back to the late 40s and tests on like antibiotics like streptomycin, I think. It was a fairly new invention when Beecher started to consider it. How do you control for the fact that 60% of people on both sides are just going to get better naturally? Right. So you have to you have to know what that number is and account for it, I guess. you have to. It depends on how good your estimate of all these factors are. And there's more than those. Um, there's the effect that people want to be better. So when people have to self-report symptoms, they will err on the side of um, hope. There's also the effect that people want to please an authority figure like a doctor. So when the doctor asks them, they will try to tell him what he wants to hear. Then there's the effect on the doctor's side of he certainly wants to believe that he is it, making people better. in improvement. Yeah. So he's more likely to interpret results in a way that leads to a good effect. And then when it's revealed who's on the who's on the good stuff and who's not, you think, wow, the even the sugar pill people were doing better. And fi- finally, there's something called the Hawthorne effect, so named because it was discovered at the Hawthorne uh, the Hawthorne plant, a factory in Cicero, Illinois, that made electronics or electrical devices in the 50s. Uh, the company, in the interest of efficiency, changed a bunch of lighting. You know, they, they would kind of make sy- systematic lighting changes throughout the factory and see what happened to um, efficiency. Well, then those were the great days of American capitalism where some like manager of a plant could be like, you know what? Let's make these guys work in the dark. <sighs> I'm just going to run fine. some experiments. They're Irish and Italian. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Uh in this case, the bosses were delighted to find that no matter what they did to the lighting, efficiency went up. Oh. The Hawthorne effect is now used to describe the phenomenon whereby people who know their behavior is being examined or studied um, do better and improve at things. And in a in medical case, you can see why that – in a medical uh, uh, study, you can see why that might be the case. You know, these are the people that are getting better, closer care than – people who are not in the study. They're thinking more about their symptoms. They're thinking more about their wellness. Um, it stands to reason that these would be the ones that were would show improvement compared to the mean of people who are not in a study. This is one of the, the major complicating factors for me of all statistics, and in particular, like double-blind tests, all kind of science, is not the, 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 this variety, but generally that the, that the subject group is necessarily going to be small, right? You can only get 200 people to take place to take uh, it's part be, in your study. It's got to be people who just had knee surgery in the last six months right. and have never had asthma and are an otherwise, you know, their blood pressure is in a certain range. Exactly, and, and live within 100 miles of Seattle. And they have to sign up for the thing. And so if you take, you, you're already dealing with such a small group and then you you have to factor in, well, a lot of people want to get better, and also people want to please doctors, and also there's the Hawthorne effect. And they're going to be self-reporting their own progress every day, and it becomes, they're mindful about stuff. I mean, even, even studies that, that, that encompass 10,000 people, um, when you account for all of the variation, it just feels like there are lies, there are damn lies, and then there are statistics. And it's, then there are medical trials. It seems difficult to get around the Hawthorne effect, because you have to get people... To take a medical trial without knowing it. Yeah. You'd have to basically find 5,000 people that were sick and didn't know it and that didn't didn't know they were taking pills. I think they can know they're sick. They just can't know they're in a trial. So you have to somehow, you know, you know, blow the, blow the medicament into a fine powder in their home 
heating and air conditioning system. But even then, if they're aware there's a medicament, they no, want to get better. They're not aware. Oh, I see. You're just sneaking outside their house and blowing it into their dryer vent. You're putting it into their. And water. then the next day on the subway, somehow they don't notice that somebody during their commute is always like, "Hey, buddy, how you feeling?" <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I'm good. But on a scale of one to ten, how yeah, are you feeling? Yeah, just generally. Just generally. Just yeah. just being friendly, you know, and you know, that, a different person asks you that every day on the bus and you you think nothing of it. Well, I'm not in a medical trial, but they certainly seem interested in my well-being. In the 1980s, I talked to a lot of people that wanted to microdose an entire community. That was that was the big plan among the the eco-warriors. They wanted to put LSD in the they water supply psilocybin in, 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 in Spokane and see what happened. Everybody would immediately begin hugging magnetized trees. How many of your friends are, are Batman villains? <laughs> Actually, so many. I used to know a guy whose name, I swear to you, his name was Treetop. And he was like six foot ten and uh, and like a weed dealer, but also like a local legend. And uh, we, we discussed putting, putting uh, LSD in the water a lot. <laughs> you asked how you can get around things like the Hawthorne effect. Uh, there have been a series of very rigorous studies out of Denmark, where everything is rigorous, in the 1990s, where they had the idea to just Talking have spankings. They had the, <laughs> wait, that's the thing that's the most rigorous in Denmark. I'll tell you is what, all the flight attendants spanking if, you. If you if you ask for a spanking in Denmark, you're going to get a rigorous one. I was picturing the severe uh, fixtures on on uh, doors and window latches. Oh. Oh. I, was, I was picturing severe Scandinavian design, not I, not dominatrices. I was sure you were going to make a reference to to that restaurant that serves moss soup. Oh yeah, have you you've, have you been there? That seems like a thing you would have done in Denmark. Yeah, Noma. Noma. Yeah, I have not been to Noma, but I I went to that one B and B on Lumi Island where the yeah, Noma yeah. chef was was making his yeah moss soups. That's and, that's problematic now. Yeah, do you know? Were we talking about this? It turned out he was. So. Um, it turned out not only was he groping all his employees but he was also buying all the stuff at costco and telling people it was from his herb garden there's a there's a person here in in this household that was born on lummy island so we have we're up to up to date on all the lummy island news so i've been saying lummy like a chump it is it's it's lummy lummy yeah lummy lummy island oh man i've been saying it wrong i know sorry buddy it's there's so many native american names in the northwest it's really hard to know them all my brother-in-law was just up there learning their their ways and their lore and they said uh, he he was saying lummy he wasn't Hmm. once again he wasn't listening that's right. Col- you have to listen. Colonizer behavior. He just wasn't listening. Um, in the Danish group, they were like, look, you don't want to have two groups, an active ingredient and an inactive ingredient. You need three groups. You need... Uh-oh. Really? Yes. Tell me more. Active ingredient, inactive ingredient that they take and are told it might be the active ingredient, and a third group that gets nothing. Gets nothing at nothing. all. You're in the study. We're not giving you a pill. Your treatment is you take nothing. You lose. Good day. Um, and the idea is then you can see a differentiation, not just between active drug and sugar pill, but then you can see you can see the placebo effect at work. You can see what the difference in response is. I'm taking something. I hope it works. And I'm not taking anything. It just gives you a baseline. Well, what, what a drag. Uh, and hey, what, welcome to the study. <laughs> you You meet our rigorous qualifications. You get nothing. I'm so sorry you have stage four cancer. Um, We'll be in touch. That sucks. (laughs) They're serving an important uh, purpose for Danish science. There it is. Because what you can see there is what we now, kind of what we now know about the placebo response is it's pretty good at at symptoms that are self-reported by the patient. If you want to know, if you want to treat pain, if you want to treat anxiety, if you want to treat 
um, you know, fatigue, things like that. Uh, the placebo response is your man or woman. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. not. It's your woman. Yeah, the placebo effect is your woman. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you remember that Almond Brothers Such song? Such a great record. <laughs> but there is no cancer. There is no placebo effect that appears to shrink tumors. Um, it doesn't help asthmatics breathe better. Uh, you know, the placebo effect is not all, the placebo given is not always a pill. You know, often they will cut open somebody's, they'll put somebody under a general anesthesia, cut open their hip, and then only do the intervention on half the patients. So you come out of anesthetic with a big scar on your hip, and you have no idea if Whoa. you if you got the if you got operated on or not. They put a Tamaguchi in there, and it just buzzes every once in a while. And the most common result of all these tests is that the patients feel like they're asthma, diabetes, sore hip, whatever is much better. But by any objective measure, nothing has happened. I love you said diabetes. <coughs> that's that's what an 85-year-old grandpa would say. I got the diabetes. How many, is there a study? There must be. How many people <coughs> do you need in any one of those three Danish groups for the results to be useful? Well, I mean, that, don't that, you need at least? Denmark's very small. I know. Each that, of these groups is one person. But, uh, you need to find three guys. Sven gets the good drug. <laughs> it seems like you would need 300 people in each group just to account for variation of uh, just like n normal variation. Yes. I mean, degree of, uh, what's the term for this? Uh, margin of error. Margin of error. Statistically, for statistically meaning, but there's equations. There's statistical equations that will tell you. This is the number of people you need for this to be statistically significant. That's why... I don't know how to do that work, and I'm not going to walk you through it. <laughs> That's why when you call people and ask if you're going to vote Democrat or Republican, you need to call 5,000 people, and even it, still, it's just people that have phones. It's people who are home waiting <laughs> to talk to somebody on their landline. Average age of respondent, 96. Um, so, you know, the, the magical power of, of the placebo response is kind of overrated i think in the public eye you can't you can't shrink a tumor with with good vibes but there is you know there is something to being able to treat things like pain or anxiety or depression i mean i think a lot of the effect of there are some studies that show that most of the effect of antidepressants is just the fact of taking them more what studies more than any neurochemical effect what studies say that i know you love your your bipolar stuff. Yeah, but that's and I'm not, not and I'm not going to tell you they don't work. That'll that'll break it. It's not an antidepressant though. It's a it's a different thing. Mm. Well, it's an anticonvulsant. Even if even if I tell you it doesn't work, you still have the honest placebo effect. It'll still do something for you. I know it does work. These things do work because the and we now understand the mechanism. The neuroendocrine system is a complex and beautiful thing. It's the part of your body that turns stress in your brain into stress responses in your body. You know, hormones squirting. Um, and you know, these are the two parts of your body that, you know, your brain and your hormones, you may think of as making vastly different decisions at different times, but no, it's all, <laughs> no, they do. <laughs> they no, really do. No, no. Ken, I'm here to tell you <laughs> the two are seldom in conjunction. It's all mediated by the brain, which means if your brain thinks, uh, uh, this is going to be good, it will release endorphins and things do get better. There's a pretty definitive test in 1998 where, they told some patients that they had gotten a placebo, and then they gave them naloxone, which is some kind of, uh, I think it's something you give people to get them off heroin or yeah. maybe to treat overdoses. Yeah. Basically, it stops the, the opiate receptors on the cells. Um, and so it should have increased the pain, 
you know, everybody, all the patients that got a placebo um, re- reported that they were getting less pain from whatever they had been suffering. The ones, and then some of them were told, hey, actually, that was a placebo. And then everybody was given the naloxone. The ones who had been told they had a placebo, their pain went back up. Oh. You know, and and so we get, you know, we, you can actually see what's going on there on a cellular level, you know, that the endorphins are, are, uh, are, uh, were interfering with the pain receptors on the individual tissues. And then the naloxone came in there and wiped out what the endorphins were doing. Naloxone is the, is Narcan. Oh, it's the, well, I didn't want to do a free ad for Narcan. They're not sponsoring this episode. Yeah, but Narcan, I was using the generic <laughs> Narcan's really good. And so here's a free ad for them. Uh, should we record one right now? Yeah. Hey, John, uh, yeah. do you think our listeners uh, are uh, heroin addicts? A lot of them are probably ODing right now, Ken. Well, you know, if you type code OMNIBUS yeah. into Narcan's website, yeah. you'll get 10% off your first six ODs. Sweet. Well, that means I can carry Narcan with me everywhere I go. That's a good ad. <laughs> that was really good. I, uh, I, that, that's OMNIBUS at OM... No, wait. I... Uh, I had an interesting effect with my bipolar medication, which is called uh, Lamictal, which was not that, an ad. Uh, this is not an ad. Consult for it, your physician. Although it's really good if you have bipolar. Uh, it was one of the things that convinced me was that the doctor told me they don't know how it works. Mm. The doctor was like, "Yeah, it just this is one of those like lick a toad in the Amazon rainforest, and suddenly you know you're." You, Male pattern baldness goes away. We don't. We we stumbled on this. We don't know why it works. Bipolar is not a is not a form of convulsion, and yet this uh, this medicine we developed for seizures works on it. And I was completely sold. I knew it because some people would be troubled by that, and the placebo response would be dulled by we can't figure out the mechanism. Yeah, but you are into this. I was like, okay, mystery magic drug. Sign I me up. It. I love when doctors tell me they don't know what a thing is. It makes it seem very authentic and honest. It does. This is so good that even though I can't explain it, I'm going to give it to you. Yeah, the MD and the PhD are like, look, this is just one of those things where God intervened. This has actually led to. I mean, the fact that many of these drugs are good for treating the patient's well-being about their asthma while not actually helping them breathe better right. has led to a real divide in the medical community because there are some people who will, you know, generally I think the consensus would be, look, asthma is life-threatening. You don't want to give patients the, the sense of false well-being. You want them to take their, their symptoms seriously and, you know, be aware of what's actually happening to them. But there's a whole group of people who are like, Wait, is that the most important thing? Like, maybe the vibes are the most important thing. Like, I think uh, it's Yale, I think, that now has a whole school of placebo research. And it's run by this guy who straight out says, yeah, I don't care if there's an objective benefit. I think it's time to start asking if that really is the ultimate good of medicine. I think if you made a pill that had, that was like one-third codeine, one-third LSD, and one-third aspirin, it would cure... 90% of disease. It has to be the right color? Yeah. It would it'd be it'd be green. And it has to be shaped like the Flintstones car. It'd be shaped like the Flintstones car. It'd be chewable. And I think that would I mean, you know, because yeah, right. I'm, what what are we looking for? Ultimately, it's the quality of life argument. Are you looking to to preserve or you know, like cut out the disease? It's the question that a lot of people with cancer have. Do I want to go through chemo? 
or do I want to live as long as I as I, as, as I can? I'm really sympathetic health? to that, but I am fundamentally a let's shrink the tumor guy, you know, uh, and I think it's just a matter of temperament. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, there there are a lot of people. If we can't that, shrink the tumor, the vibes become very important. In in t- while I still have the tumor, shrink the tumor. Yeah, then I'll handle the vibes. I'll spot. Let's Spotify handle the vibes. <laughs> And that concludes the longest episode of Omnibus yet. Is that true? Not yet. We're on our way. The placebo effect. Entry 946.IS3821. Certificate number 42734 in the Omnibus. Maybe we should have made it a little shorter given that I was probably giving you COVID during this episode. Unbelievable. I mean, really unbelievable. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that I survive this COVID exposure uh, and even more unlikely event that social media still exists in your era. Uh, you can read Ken gloating about having killed me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ken Jennings. I already have a backup omnibus host in mind. So who is it? Is it me? <laughs> it's Johnny Gilbert. He's 97 years old. He's not going to live as long as I am, even with COVID. He's 94. That's why I had to give you COVID. There was no way he was going to outlive you, and I had to resort to underhanded means. Uh, You can look uh, uh, on Twitter at Omnibus Project. I am sadly lurking there, and you should ignore me. Don't poke the bear. Ignore me. If uh, if you see me retweet anything, just scroll on by at John Roderick. He's like a T-Rex. If you don't move, he can't see you. I can't see you. Um, uh, it's also a zombie, right? If you don't make any sound, a zombie can't find you? Is that right? I don't. There's so many movies with so many different ideas of what zombies are. Uh, I swear there was some zombie movie. Was it, was it Generation Z? Some movie like that where the zombie had to make a sound? You'd think they could see. I hate zombie movies is what it all boils down to. Uh, If you love zombie movies and want to argue with me about it, write Ken at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Mindy will read your email, give it to Ken, and if it mentions my name, Ken won't send it to me and I'll never see it. I sent you emails yesterday. I know. That was pretty nice. Uh, You can mail us actual letters, hard letters, and soft letters to P.O. Box 55744. Shoreline, Washington, 98155. looks like you got a little mailbag over there. Our fr- yeah, I got it. We haven't recorded in so long. This stuff has really been piling up. Our friend David, the cartoonist from Portland, sent us one of his beautifully uh, embellished envelopes to the degree that I kind of feel guilty about how much time must have gone into this watercolor of the Hudson Brothers. He works so hard, but he's very talented. Oh, my God. It's so awesome. Isn't that great? <laughs> I'm mad at the postal carrier who uh, who's had to stamp it in and uh, and ruin it with a postmark. That's so awesome. I love that you opened it with like your fat finger instead of with a with a like a letter opener. You I, just stuck I your finger in it. one side and it's not ripped. It's totally ripped. That's the that's the margin. In it we have a motion discomfort bag containing that's awesome. Uh, mini comics about two recently released omnibus entries, uh, Safety Coffins, and the video game Crash of 1983. This is beautiful work. We're going to put this on the Patreon, and whether you're a Patreon supporter or not, you should look up David Chelsea's uh, cartooning. What a... Look at these. Let me see. 
if you want to remember every weird beat of those two shows. I love a cartoon. It's like a 36-panel page. It's like Watchmen threw up all over itself. These are so much better than our actual show notes. I wish that we were... They're so much better than the actual show. That we were smart enough to do these as show notes. Um, I feel like some of... He, there's a real R. Crumb quality to some of these illustrations that I'm super into. I assume he would take that as a compliment. No, this, I'm, just, I'm just opening random stuff now. This, this drawing of Alice Blunden it just looks like a crumb. Um, so send us wonderful things like this. The, the bar is pretty high here. We also have... What do we have here? Here's a postcard from Rebecca who is at the Emergency Relocation Facility for Congress, which is a, a resort called the Greenbrier. Yes, in, in West Virginia. In, in West Virginia. You know about the Greenbrier? I sure do. It's a picture of the blast doors, which are, you know, maybe War Games thickness, if not Tron thickness. This is where Speaking the, of Dabney Coleman. This is where the Congress was going to all, like, get in their limos and helicopters and race out of Washington, D.C. Uh, as the bombs were falling, and they were going to reconvene with their comely secretaries Underneath this resort hotel in the mountains. Unfortunately, Madison Cawthorn had given the Russians a tour of the facility the day before, <laughs> and the mob knew where to. F the bombs all knew where to find it. Um, here's also a letter from CJ, who apparently is part of an ongoing campaign to get me to like Stockton, California more. Is this? Uh, have like I been Stockton? Have I been anti-Stockton in the past? I guess I, he needs to tell me all about Benjamin Holt. A, uh, a transplant to Stock Stockton who invented no less than the Caterpillar. And he sent us some... Uh, oh, by Caterpillar, he means Caterpillar tractor. Well, you cannot invent the uh, insect pupa, the, or larva pupa, mm. the Caterpillar. Sure, okay, negative Nelly. I mean, only God can make a tree True. or a Caterpillar. True. Um, uh, poems are made, however, by fools like us. Tidbit for John, Holt tractors replaced horses during World War I to transport artillery. Their design is what inspired the tanks on British and French tanks. Those would have been the treads on British and French tanks. That would have been the what the first tank treads, right? In there World we War go. I. There we go. Without Stockton, California, we would have lost World War I, and the Kaiser would be a global dictator right now. He would be 187 years old. How do you feel about that? Well, you know, Stockton, Thank you, Stockton. Stockton is actually going to very tangentially figure in our next episode as well, because it's on the San Joaquin River. Well, you're really, you're really um, giving people a cliffhanger for Thursday. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sending us things. Thank you. Um, you can uh, talk about these things that we've just discussed and all episodes uh, with other Futurelings by going to Facebook or other social media sites and look up Futurelings, and they are invariably going, indubitably going to be in those places and chatting it really is indubitable they're great chatters. you cannot do bit cannot be doobed but uh above all else if you love omnibus and you enjoy our show please support us by going to patreon.com slash omnibus project and signing up to uh to contribute to the production and maintenance of the show and there are lots of wonderful benefits that you can discover once you're there. So just go to patreon.com slash omnibus and support our program. T today's show, in fact, was a uh, would not have existed were it not for uh, a Patreon supporter. Tim gave at the, uh, I want to say the washing bear level. 
for six months and was able to suggest a show topic. And on his list was the placebo effect, which as I was recovering from COVID and thinking, is this a cough? Is this shortness of breath? Is this a tickle or a sniffle? This is a topic that John will interrupt me 400 times in the first hour. But I will get revenge by giving him the novel coronavirus. <laughs> Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that this catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this very recording, like all our recordings, maybe our final week. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. <laughs>